0: This is Thrasher Slashers, on the Road to WrestleMania Season 2, presented by the Stiff Shops Podcast Network. Myself and a friend will be talking music, movies, and wrestling, as well as some off-the-rails conversation and a shitload of caffeine. What's up, you animals? I am your host, Rick Jimenez, furious frontman from Extinction AD, superset enthusiast, certified personal trainer from Ironhawk Training, and overly opinionated orator from the Stiff Shots podcast. Welcome to your bi-monthly evasion of reality and another episode of Thrashers Slashers on the Road to WrestleMania Season 2. We're broadcasting from Huntington, New York, and for the first time ever, Staten Island, New York. And I'm joined by my guest, Wrestle Rap podcast host, producer of a slew of your other favorite podcasts in and around the wrestling spectrum, and the man with the most luxurious mane in the five boroughs, <laughs> Emilio Sparks. <laughs> What's going on, dude?
1: Rick, what up, man? Thank you for having me. You've had such star-studded guests before, so I got some big shoes to fill.
0: dude i'm psyched that you were able to make this work i know you have a busy schedule and this is just one of my two days off at least half a day off yeah man thank you for having
1: me let's 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 rock and roll so like when you told me hey i have an idea do you want to come on and do
0: this i'm like absolutely let's go dude so you've been doing wrestle rap for a while but now you're producer to the stars man How did podcasting turn from something you were doing on your own to becoming a part of some of the biggest shows around, let alone in the producer role?
1: So I was at Sirius for about 10 years and I hit the glass ceiling there. There was no room for me to grow and do the things that I wanted to do. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the podcasting stuff a little bit more serious because I was always podcasting. I I was podcasting dating back to about... 2005 you know when it was just something to do in your basement or whatever and then wrestle rap really started to blossom and bloom. You know, we started to get dudes like Biggie and Brody Lee and the Young Bucks and you know Enzo and Kaz Samoa Joe and so on and so forth. You know, like a lot of professional wrestlers were just really enjoying what me and my my co-host Kazim at the time were were doing. So I really started to take it serious there, and I was that serious. I had all these toys. So I was going to learn more better mixing techniques and you know editing, and I was doing that and. The opportunity came to just sit and chat with some gentlemen from the WWE, and they were like, we're thinking about doing this. Why don't you come do it with us? And I left Sirius, and I developed something for the WWE that did not exist before I walked through the door in Connecticut. And I was doing that for a little while, and, you know, that ended. And then I decided, well, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing, But I'm going to work for myself for a little while to see whether or not that I'm as good as I think I am or I've just been incredibly lucky. And, you know, as CM Punk says, luck is for losers and you really got to go out and grind and work your ass off. And luckily I did. You know, uh, the first person to call me was Rocky Romero, and then the rest is history. We're on Talk and Shop, and we've had a number one podcast on Apple, iTunes, and all of that jazz. And then came Corey Graves and Carmella with Bear With Us, and that became another number one. And then Renee, which has been a runaway smash hit, that was another number one podcast. And now I'm also working with a health and fitness professional by the name of Michael Chernow who operates under the uh, guides of philanthropy, wellness, and entrepreneurial hustle. And then I got a couple of other things in the works as well. But yeah, it all started with wrestle rap, and here I am today developing things for WWE and developing things for some of your other favorite professional wrestlers and tastemakers.
0: I love it, man. That glass ceiling just smashing through it over and over again. That rocks.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I had to, you know, I was just sitting there and I felt that was as if I was sleepwalking my way through my life and I I couldn't have that anymore. You know, like I seen way too much shit go on there and I seen people become prosperous and really move on and have interesting careers. And I sat here and I was like, I'm just as good. I'm just as talented. And if I can't have a a hosting role, well, then let me really continue to develop my skills And see the bigger picture and pull out that special, innate thing in somebody else.
0: Well, dude, something else that I really wanted to talk to you about quickly. Your new Nikes. The borderline (laughs) dad, grandpa-style Nikes that you're so excited about. Yeah,
1: me and Moxley. Yeah, we're excited for them. Uh, I don't know. You know, Rick, here's the thing. I was sponsored by (laughs) Jordan for a very long time. I used to get a ton of shoes. You know, and then I I went into the Yeezy world. My favorite sneaker in the whole wide world is the Jordan 3. I don't think it gets better than that. It's sleek. It's sexy. It's a real pretty shoe. It's crafted well. It's aesthetically appealing. Every colorway works to a certain degree. I'm more of a traditionalist, and I kind of like the ones that Jordan wore. You know, very rarely do I jump on different colorways of the three. So that's why when they keep on re-releasing the Cement Blacks or the Fire 3s, you know, I will always constantly get those ones because those are the ones that Jordan wore. But I went to Coles. I needed just a plain black dress shirt because I had to go to this thing. And I did not want to spend hundreds of dollars on a dress <laughs> shirt. You know what I mean? Like yes. those stymy checks during the pandemic went to my bills, you know? So it's like I didn't I didn't spend on on anything, but I was like, I needed a black dress shirt. I go to Coles, I pick up a black dress shirt because underneath the suit Who's going to see it? You know, looking around, I'm just like, you know what? Let me me see what the shoe department in Kohl's looks like. Because it always used to be a joke to me. Like, who the hell buys sneakers in Kohl's? I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. And then these sneakers stop me. You get in my tracks. I'm like, do I really want to do this? Because there's no going back. (laughs) You know, you you get a pair. There's no going back. Like, you know, you really got to swag these out, man. Like, you really have to accessorize these things. And your fit really has to be on point. You cannot wear beige color anything with these, And I don't wear beige anyway, but I'm saying, like, you know, the mentality is with these dad shoes, you're either wearing beige-colored shorts with, like, the pockets on the side and, you know, like, with a belt and a polo shirt that's striped. Like, you really got to look like an asshole when you wear these shoes. So my thought was, I'm not going to look like an asshole. I'm really going to swag these the fuck out, and I'm going to wear tapered chinos with these with, you know, black T-shirts And, you know, my e Sailor Ron jacket. And then maybe what I'll do is I'll change the laces from white to red or black. And how's it working out? I mean, bro, I went on a date with the shoes on and she liked them. I'm (laughs) I'm telling you, it's not bad, man. If you can pull it off, you have to have a certain je ne sais quoi about you. You know what I mean? Like, first, you have to be real confident in what you're doing. Rick, I've worn $500 pairs of sneakers, right? And they're devastatingly uncomfortable devastatingly uncomfortable you know i'm also a big yeezy guy so when the yeezy 500s came out they had like that chunky soul and people were making fun of them they were like oh you know yeezy orthopedics and i'm like it's just like that you put on a pair of air Monarchs, you feel really really comfortable so much so that I'm, i i've talked dan housing into
0: buying a pair <laughs> now he wants a pair Dude, I know nothing about style, but I know this. Everything that sucks now is gonna be rad later on, and everything that is awesome now is gonna be fucking terrible in due time.
1: That's always the case though. You know what I mean? Like I remember some of my favorite fashion in hip hop was the hip hop in like the late eighties into like the early nineties, right before like what you're seeing now. You know what I mean? Like we've all we all wore baggy pants when they were down to our butt cheeks, you know. But like the real tapered stuff, like what LL Cool J and what Run DMC, you know, and the Beastie Boys and what those dudes were wearing, like everything fit. You know what I mean? Like everything was clean. Rock Kim, like everything was just like tapered and looked really, really good. And that came back around again. So it's just a matter of what you feel comfortable with like pulling off certain things. So, you know, currently right now I'm 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 wearing tie dye sweatpants and a and a hoodie. And I got my dad shoes on. You know what I mean? And I, I went and ran errands like that. And I'm telling you, like it's it's a matter of just rocking it and being confident. I'm a sexy son bitch, bro. So I'm oh, oh, I'm wearing this shit to the ground. So I'm telling you, man, you get a pair of those shoes Make sure you don't do the, the just the regular like white and blue joints, right? Like you can even go on the Nike app and they have several different colorways that are absolutely cold. They just get a bad rap because you see dads who have no fashion style wear those things and then they cut them with like they go cut the grass and it has like grass clippings <laughs> all over. It. The next time I wear this will be with a pair of athletic like sweatpants, you know, long string ones. I will wear those shoes and I will wear a vintage WWF 1992 European Rampage Tour, Roddy Piper t-shirt.
0: <laughs> and I guarantee you people will look at me and go, yo. You're describing my fifth grade outfit to a tee. Bing bong. <laughs> we have a lot to get to, but the most important thing to get to in my day every day is the consumption of a dumb amount of caffeine. So if you have something lined up, it's time. What are you drinking today? I am drinking from
1: the Alps. It's called a liquid death. I don't like do energy drinks or caffeine. That's just not my wave anymore. But liquid death is a water company that is eliminating single-use plastic one by one. So liquid death, death to single-use plastic. So that's what I'm having right now.
0: I'm with a traditional 8.4-round sugar-free Red Bull. We're keeping it real simple today.
1: Okay. I used to do those when I used to do the... um, the Jaeger bombs. <laughs> that's why you used to get hopped up. Like, you know, people used to think like, how do you stay up all night? Well, you do like 28 Jaeger bombs and, you know, your heart's beating out of its chest. And that's like a DJ all night. You know, like those things were, whew, I can't even do the the, the the Red Bull anymore just because of the taste.
0: I can't not do the Red Bull anymore. But dude, let's test your memory a little bit here. Do you remember when or how we did first meet? I want to say it was that Dragon Gate show
1: in Brooklyn where it was you, um, that bum Travis Riley. (laughs) (laughs) I love Travis, (laughs) Um, I
0: I think that was, was that the show? You know, don't quote me on this, but I think the first time we met was that Ring of Honor show. I think it was Final Battle 2012 at Hammerstein, and we met through Cody Beware, because we had just did a collaboration for Steve Carino's new entrance theme.
1: Wow. Okay, because we did me, Cody, and uh, another producer friend of mine, Jay Glaze, we did the Kings of Wrestling theme. Was that the same time? No, no. This was after that. Okay. All right. Cause I okay, because I, I thought like maybe the timelines match up. Oh, that you know what? It might be true because Cody, me, and Hero are friends. And that means and then you were friends with I would assume hero, because hero's friends with everybody. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was the Dragon Gate one because we really got to hang
0: out, like, and, and chill and and really like shoot the poop. That was after we had met the first time because I remember at the Ring of Honor show thinking, Who's this well dressed, well groomed motherfucker that's friends with Cody? <laughs> and then at the Dragon Gate show, it was just a whole group of Schlocks in yellow Wu-Tang rip off Chris Hero shirts. <laughs> Love it. I still got that shirt. It's my girlfriend's now. It doesn't have sleeves and it's also a crop top.
1: Uh, I listen, you could I bet you can still pull it off. You're shredded to shit, so like you probably can
0: pull that off. You have you have good pipes. <laughs> With the world once again opened up for live music, we're ready to go with Extinction AD shows starting July 25th at our home base Amityville Music Hall. We'll be making our way out to Altoona, Pennsylvania, April 7th to join Bushido Code for their record release show. And then this September, we're doing a little run to Full Terror Assault Fest and back with fucking Exodus and MOD and a handful of other great bands. But if you can't wait that long to hang out with us, get your ass to the Extinction AD YouTube channel and catch the debut episode of It's Go Time, You Asshole, where we're cracking open energy drinks and bullshitting about a surprise topic each episode while being fueled as hell. And if you're trying to look as fueled as you feel after either a 16-ounce can of rain or an 8.4-ounce Red Bull, Ironhawk Training is your stop for one-on-one personal training sessions for anyone in the Long Island or New York City area. And if you're on some other part of the planet, hit me up at Training on Instagram or Facebook for remote coaching and workout write-ups, and let me help you reach your goals the proper way and ready to do the sand kicking at the beach instead of being the sand kicky which is a reference so dated that I'd actually be offended if anyone listening to this show even understands it. Oh, I got it. <laughs> Last but never least, every Friday on all streaming platforms, the Stiff Shots podcast is dishing out the great, the terrible, the shiny, and the garbage throughout all of professional wrestling and making sure everyone has a joke or 12 to steal from us for their Twitter for the remainder of the week. And if that's not enough plugs for you, paint the target on your face for this Mike Tyson punch level of information from this championship sponsor. When we're in our nearby corporate grocery store, it's impossible for us to trust any claims of quality or statements about organically grown products. And deciphering the labels and nutrition facts is an ever-growing task. But you'll never have those problems with the products by Graceful June Farm. Graceful June Farm is a 12-and-a-half-acre family farm located in Stillwater Township, New Jersey. They're specialized in pasture-raised and organic-fed chickens for eggs. They're raising goats for goat's milk and an assortment of other goat's milk products. And now they've stepped into the market with maple syrup and maple syrup products. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Graceful June Farm to see this family's progress as they've turned their dreams into reality. You can feel good supporting an ethical endeavor with a genuine family at Graceful June Farm. That's at Graceful June Farm on Instagram and Facebook. Trusted products by a family for your family. The Thrasher of the Week released October 8th, 2002 by New York hip-hop supergroup Bootcamp Click, The Chosen Few. The first hip-hop album chosen for this show so far, and a fucking banger of one, even though this was legitimately my first listen of it. Season 2, there's no rules or guidelines with years or anything, so out of every record, what made you want to chat about this one?
1: When I was in college, I used to have a college radio show like everybody, you know what I mean? I was I was the only hip hop show, and I didn't want to do anything that you heard on Terrestrial Radio. It was it was a college station, so you had to educate your listeners, and you know they, they had all these shows about nature and religion and politics and you know all this other buga. And I'm like, all right, listen. I'm not well versed in none of that. You know, I, I I I I think I'm 18 at the time. What the hell do I know about the world, right? But what I love was underground, backpack, uh, independent. Like there are so many different labels for this type of hip hop. So I wanted to do that. And the individuals that paved the way before me left me a really good archive of stuff. But, you know, this is when the Internet started to really start to take off and explode. It was in its infancy still, you know, with blogs and all of this stuff. But, you know, they were starting to figure out what social media was. So I got really, really chummy with Duck Down Records, which probably it's second in my lineage of who really has shown me love. First, it's obviously Wu-Tang because I'm from Staten Island. And I could have went with the Wu-Tang album. But, you know, that would have been easy. You know what I mean? And then, like, they could, all right, Staten Island, Wu-Tang, cool. But, you know, there was something special about just what Duck Down Records was doing as a kid. You know, like, you can even go back to... When I'm about 10 years old, you know, because Wu-Tang was the gateway to everything else, right? So it was like I learned of Mob Deep, I learned of Biggie Smalls, and I've learned of Boot Camp Click or Duck Down Records. Boot Camp was the crew. And it was because of guys like Evil D and, and Mr. Walt of the Beat Miners who created this real guttural, dirty, scratchy, You know, I'm going to sample jazz in a way that was never done before in hip hop. And that was one of the things that that really piqued my interest, because up until then, you know, you you only listen to like dribs and drabs, you know, like your cousin would put you older cousin would put you onto this. And, you know, my uncle Michael is only eight years my senior. And I always looked up to him like one of my sages. You know, he was one of the dudes that even got me into pro wrestling, hip hop and pro wrestling was because of my uncle Mike. You know, so I would get tapes or whatever, and then I heard Gotcha Open from Buckshot. It was, it was off end the stage from Black Moon, and the sound of the entire thing was just completely different from what I was listening to at the time. And then I needed to know more about these guys. So I always made a, a reference to always go and, and get, like, the Source magazine. And I would always, you know, keep a little list in my, my notebook, you know, behind the, the, the last page right before the, you know— the multiplication tables and all that other shit that we never used in those marble notebooks. <laughs> and I would write down like my favorite artists. And I would always do that whenever like the marble notebook would end, I would always do that again. And I would keep a record and it would always go back to like five or six MCs and, you know, Sean Price and, you know, uh, rock and rock at the time they were known as help the Skelta, mm-hmm. you know, uh, OGC and like Sterang, and like, you know, and then I get to college and I'm like, all right, now I have this opportunity to really manifest this thing that I want to do. And I, I reached out, you know, it wasn't Google at the time. You would just go and you would find out where the record labels were. You would show up and say, hey, I'm a college student. Here's my ID. I do a college radio station. Here's my radio station ID. Could you put me on the mailing list or I can come to, you know, your office every week and, and get records? And they're like, well, I'll mail you them. And that's, you know, you start the relationship and then you would directly work with guys like Shucky Duck. And, and Shucky was so cool to me uh he would put me in touch with guys like drew hot to try to set up these these college radio interviews you know and and to and that's where it started so i would get all like the back stuff that i i I wanted and then they were like yo we just dropped this here you go here's the chosen few and i went to work on it it was one of my favorite albums as like a posse album as like a cut album like whoa man like you don't get any better i mean it's great you have like several different lyricists just coming together with different ideologies just different methodologies on on how do they approach records. And the production is some of the best you'll ever hear. And you don't get better than that. And to me, it's just a rich Brooklyn album. And I don't think you get better than that. Like when you want to talk about quintessential hip-hop, you think of duck down music. When you think of Brooklyn rap, yeah, there's Big E and there's Jay, but you gotta give the flowers to duck down records. If you don't. What are you doing? Like, do you even like do you listen to hip hop like you can't so like get out of my mentions if you're not gonna pay attention <laughs> you know they, the lead single was and so and that was the first one that really made me pay attention to how good Sean Price was as a lyricist you know like I, I didn't understand. Like the lyrics when you're a kid, when you're like 10, 11, 12, 13, like you're not really paying attention because you don't know the picture that they're painting unless you live it. Right. So I'm listening to it just as an appreciator of of how good the similes and metaphors and punchlines are. But then as you get older, you really start to know the environment in which you live in and then you really start
0: to appreciate
1: guys like Sean Price and you're
0: like, holy shit. So there's a couple of things I want to go back to what you just said. First off, this album is unmistakably New York. Right. Brooklyn. Exactly. Then the different lyricists and producers and everybody, the thing that makes this a supergroup it keeps the vibe fresh throughout the entire record. And there's no flops. No. Not that every song is the greatest song in the world, but every song on the album is a banger and worthy of being on the album. And then on top of that, to production, you know, this is 2002, and it sounds just as fresh now as it did 20 years ago. But but see, that's like guys like
1: the Beatminers. That's guys like the Alchemist, you know, Baby Paul and, and Bink, you know, Dan the Man, like, you know, Kurt Cazell. These are cats that understand how to make timeless music that ages very very well you might not think it does at the time but now we're we're going into what like this record's almost what 20 it's almost 20 years old so to sit there and 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 listen to it you're like oh shit this stands the test of time and and i don't know man you know i love the direction of where hip-hop goes and yeah it's a young man's game you know what i mean like they're not marketing music for guys like you and me anymore you know what i mean like but they're marketing for kids that, you know, want to put little in front of their name when they rap, you know, which is which is fine. But, you know, to me, it's like, does that age well or is the stuff that we grew up with in our, like, you know,
0: impressionable years, teens and maybe even to our 20s? That sticks around. And so being the proper opening track was also one of the two singles that and think back
1: track to and so it Tech and Steel, Sean Price The Yates brothers, you don't get better than them. I mean, it's just, man, just, just, yeah, just do it, man. Just just go and listen to it.
0: (laughs) The video for this song is also so cool because it's seriously the most simple thing ever. It's just dudes hanging out in a white room. The end. The Think Back video is essentially exactly the same, just with a few shots being shown on an old TV. You have a marketing mind. What do you think about these being the singles and the introduction to either the public as far as the album and possibly the band go? Because it's the group's second album. Yeah. Well, you know, like I – to me, I'm a minimalist,
1: right? So like even when I made DJ compilation albums, you know, I I had a couple of mixtapes out. I always wanted them to revolve around like the thing that I love the most. And how do I visualize a real simplistic approach to this? Because one, you have no budget. I know I didn't. So it's like, what what can we do? Okay, you know what? Everybody's going this way. And in 2002, brother, you have Hype Williams videos and all these like big productions and everything has a ton of women and, and alcohol and jewelry and, you know, expensive clothing and crane shots and explosions mm-hmm. and whatever. This was anti that and duck down has always been a non-conformist label in terms of we know what we do we like what's hot we're going to do it our way and you're gonna think oh shit these guys know what they're doing and it's really really cool and in a time of crystal and platinum chains video vixens these guys were just doing minimalist white room rap into the camera and they're really connecting with you because they're making the eye contact with you and then there's like different quick cuts and so on and so forth so yeah to me i like the approach the less is more thing
0: really does like ring true i I genuinely believe that for this group i think it definitely absolutely does at this time like you said all the videos looked like you ever see that meme the inside of a cheese grater yeah Yeah, you can definitely um, look back on that time in
1: hip hop and be like, wow, okay, these were really expensive budgets. And a lot of really good directors popped off because of that. I mean, you know, one of my buddies, John Colombo, became a pretty successful video music director. And guys like Rick Cordero, as well, like, you know, they really started their chops in 2002. And by like 2005, 2006, they really crafted a really good lane for themselves. But. You know, guys like Buckshot, you're getting a real different, like, hey, yeah, you know, this is this is this, enjoy this. Just shut up and enjoy it for what it is, like the music, not the pageantry. Because I always used to make the argument when does the fashion trump the functionality within the stuff that you want to listen to? And you know it, even back in the day, even rock music videos.
0: Yeah, I really, was gonna got say really big. Yeah, the 2000s hip hop and the culture and the videos were very on par with metal and hair metal in the 80s. But on the other hand, there was this groundswell of like thrash metal like anthrax and testament and exodus that were doing the exact opposite at the time. And that's kind of how I equate bootcamp click into that
1: Right, right. If if we can say like we do wrestle rap we're, we're like, you know, we always say like where rapper meets wrestler, but if, if we were to do it here, you can say where boot clamp meets anthrax. But you can also say that anthrax not that they never stuck to who they are as a group, but they also started to once they started to make a little bit more money, those videos got really, really pretty as well.
0: Yeah, they had the director of Jeremy do one of their videos that I think barely even got released. Well, aside from the two singles, what are the top three tracks on this album for you? Um, I mean, you know, Had It Up To Here is a good one because that's
1: produced by the Beatminers. Um, Whoop His Ass is real cool as well. Like, you know, if you want to say that that was their commercial record, uh, you could say that. Just Us is cool. Welcome to Bucktown, USA. That's the joint, man. You know, because these guys also and what I liked about Duck Down and Wu-Tang and... Dipset they created their own language as well like you know the way they would flip certain terms and to me that's always like wow you're you're creating a subculture within a culture I'm always into that weird like a box within a box kind of thing you know and so if you can create your own entire just like slang I'm with it so
0: especially in hip-hop yeah because it's ever-changing
1: so it's like yeah you have to I'm always a fan of that. So if I always heard something like new and I was like, well, what does that mean? And they said that I was like, all right, cool. Now I'm gonna use that on somebody. And if they don't know it's like, oh, wait a minute, he's on some new shit. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So it's always hard for me to pick what I think are the best tracks or at least my favorite tracks on this album, but had it up to here and whoop that ass, the tonal change where it gets just so super aggro in the middle of the album. Yeah. Right up my alley. Yeah, man. I, I knew because there was so many
1: that I could have picked. Nonfiction dropped in 2002. Cameron, Welcome Home dropped in 2002. So I was like, damn, I can really exhibit dropped in 2002. I was like, all right, what, what can I pick here? Because there's a lot of really good hip-hop that came out in 2002. And I'm like, damn, what do I want to pick? So I was like, let me, I want to go back to something that was really, really special to me in 2002 and this brings me back to my little college radio show you know when everything was simple easy and pure the stresses of the world did not really exist you did what you did (laughs) uh you know the responsibility was uh you know wasn't at its at its max and and here you are
0: no man i'm glad you turned me on to something new that's cool in the song think back they're referencing early 80s new york hip-hop and different strokes and martin and fresh prince so three-way dance with the title on the line who's leaving victorious martin arnold from different strokes or will smith oh will smith easy come on
1: will smith let's go fresh prince i mean martin was a monster uh television show as well you know but there's something just different about will smith man i, I, I don't know like you you saw him he had it You know, but again, early on in his acting career, he was already an accomplished rapper, a Grammy
0: Award winning rapper. I loved that first DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince tape, I guess, at the time.
1: Yeah, think about it. Like, they were a great tag team. They were tag team champions. You know, when you think of DJ MC combos, you think of Eric B. Rakim. You think of Guru and DJ Premier. You think of The Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff.
0: Not to mention Martin cried twice in every episode.
1: Well, I, yeah, which I, I kind of like because it became one of those things like where he knew he would fuck up, so he would start <laughs> to be overdramatic, and and he would do it. But then also, too, he had some really great characters that he played as well, and it really showed his range as a performer as well. Like, Martin Lawrence was uh, an incredible, accomplished stand-up comic before he did television it's a very very well done it's a it's a the show fires off on all cylinders and we were talking about hip-hop albums aging well martin as a television show is aged well living single as a television show is aged well like it just it don't get any to me those shows age better than friends i i've never seen (laughs) i've never seen a friends episode so you know full transparency I, I've never seen a full Friends episode, but like, you know, talking with people that have watched it, ex-girlfriends who love the show,
0: it sounds like it just sucks. It, it, like it If you does. watched it then and then watch it now, it's fine. If you've never seen it and you watch it now, the entire thing is unbelievably problematic.
1: That, right. That's what I'm saying. So it's just like, you know, I rather watch the stuff that I watched as a kid because yeah, it's aged well. It it honestly has like you just give me a good comedy man and I will I will laugh my ass off for forever. But friends, uh, I'm, good. I'm good.
0: Hard pass. <laughs> this week's slasher, the action turned thriller turned slasher masterpiece, released May nineteenth, nineteen eighty nine. Roadhouse, dude, I am so excited you picked this. It's been ages since I've seen this. And definitely the 1991 edited for TV, Channel 11, WPIX version. Before we get into the thick of things, what is it about this movie that made you immediately choose it? Because it was almost instantaneous of a decision for you.
1: (laughs) You know, it's been on. And if you follow me on Twitter, at Emilio Sparks, I talk about it often. Like, often. It's not like, it's, it's no joke. Like, I talk about it often. Um, it's so much so that I am wearing a roadhouse hoodie right now uh, (laughs) that is made by some company that Drake Maverick put me onto because when I was on the road with WWE, him and I would talk about all these movies and then now we tag each other on all sorts of anything Swayze because we're both crazy for Swayze. And he sent me this like clothing line that makes like all this old 80s, 90s pop culture movie stuff. I forget the name of the thing, but they did a whole roadhouse capsule and I could have been a degenerate. And I could have bought every single T-shirt and the hoodie, but I decided to just do one T-shirt and the hoodie. And I got to tell you, brother, this thing is is drippy, and I love it. And it's just a picture of Patrick Swayze, you know, looking looking just as dapper as hell. It's a, there's also a, a cut of the double deuce, and then they have a roadhouse written in Japanese going down the front. <laughs>
0: Well, it makes sense because Patrick Swayze is definitely on my Mount Rushmore of coolest men to ever exist, but how fucking cool is Dalton in every sense of the word, in every single action scene, every line he delivers, this is post-dirty dancing and pre-ghost and point-break Swayze, so this is essentially while he's at his peak. Is this your favorite Swayze movie? You know what? I I would want to say yes, but how can you not say that Dirty Dancing...
1: Some will say Ghost is his best role, but if I'm picking what I'm crazy for Swayze for... And hear me out. I think it goes Dirty Dancing, because how could you not put yourself in Johnny Castle's shoes? I mean, you know, the the bad boy with the heart of gold who just... You know, society looks down upon him because he's from the wrong side of the tracks. (laughs) Yep. Then I go... Roadhouse, because how can you not? I mean, Dalton is just the coolest son bitch in the world, and even though I've never smoked cigarettes, he makes smoking cigarettes look great. And then I would do Point Break, Ghost, and then I would do maybe him and Darnie Darko.
0: See, I would put Point Break second and Roadhouse third, but that is only because I have such an intimate relationship with Point Break. I also would put Dirty Dancing first, because probably everybody else my age, that was our introduction to Patrick Swayze. My right, number right. four would be Outsiders, though. Listen, I love Outsiders. That would be five for me, because it really,
1: it had Swayze, but it really didn't have Swayze. It really went around like Pony Boy and, and Johnny, and, and uh, whatever, I forgot what, what character one of the Dylans played in it.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Swayze in that movie is a bit of the anchor. Yeah, oh, Dallas he played. His
1: name was Dally. They called him Dally. Um, but this is what hooks you with Roadhouse. Ready? Dalton has a degree in psychology from <laughs> NYU. He drives a new Mercedes. His entire worldly goods fit easily into the trunk. He carries his x-rays and medical records with him. He keeps a superb conditioned body that has been shot and stabbed and had more than 30 bones broken and has been screwed back together by an impressive array of stainless steel screws. He has already worked in almost half the states in the union. He makes a lot of money. He is the
0: best there is at what he does. He is a bouncer. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. For anyone who's never seen this, aside from everything you just went over – I'm going to put 60 seconds on the clock, and I want you to give a plot rundown as best you can in the time allotted. Are you up for this challenge?
1: I think I can do it.
0: Okay. Four, three, two, one, go. Patrick
1: Swayze goes and gets hired by this guy because his dive bar sucks and everybody, it's a bloodbath. They all fight. So what happens is he meets this protagonist by the name of... Dalton Castle, he has to meet the evil Ben Gazzara for the, the, the takeover of the town. Who's King Shit on Fuck Mountain? Somehow a woman gets involved. Kelly Lynch, she looks good naked. There's a great sex scene. Watch that. There's a uh, fighting ensues. And then Jasper, Kansas City, Missouri is the thing that they're fighting over. Who wins <laughs> Jasper, Missouri? You have to
0: watch the movie to find out. 33 seconds. I <laughs> oh, Don't fuck around. Sam Elliott is also here, also oh, unbelievably Wait, it, cool. Brother.
1: He's unbelievably cool. There's a scene where he walks in. When you first see him, right, he pulls up on the chopper where he where he engages with everybody in Jasper. He comes to the double deuce and he pulls up or whatever. He walks in, asks where Dalton is. They say he's out back. Great. Walks out in the back. Now there's some fisticuffs going on with Dalton and the henchmen from the evil Brad Wesley. And one of the guys goes, you get a fight? And Sam Elliott, as cool with that raspy voice, goes, well, I didn't come here to show you my dick. (laughs) And then, bam, hits the dude right in the jewels. He goes down and he just moves that, that coffee, beautiful gray hair and goes, hurts, doesn't it? And then, like, the guy just falls down and then they all start trying to beat up Terry Funk. Because Terry
0: Funk's in the movie as well. Well, hey, let's talk about Terry Funk. He plays Morgan. A bouncer at the Double Deuce before Dalton is hired and immediately fires him.
1: Right, because he doesn't have the temperament for the job. He just walks around and he wants to puff up his chest and he wants to just throw people out. And you have to listen. If you've ever worked in a nightclub or a bar, I did for many, many years. You have to have some type of decorum where they go, oh, shit, I got to listen to this dude. Yeah, he could kick my ass, but I respect him. If they fear you, yeah, like, you know, once they get a little drunk, they're going to want to test you. But if they respect you, even when they're drunk, they're going to walk out and they're going to walk out peacefully. So when you compare Morgan to Swayze, I mean, who are you going to listen to to say, yo, get off the bar or please don't peddle drugs in this establishment? I'm going to listen to Swayze over Morgan. Morgan will cave your head in, but you'll go back and you'll have anger and you'll have resentment. You get more flies with honey. Patrick Swayze knew that. Be nice. There's a whole scene in the movie when he's about to now, like, get rid of, like, all the nudniks that were really <laughs> fucking up the double deuce, you know, Morgan being one of them, the chick that was dealing drugs, and he says, be nice. What happens if we, we can't be nice? I will tell you when to not be nice. How, that's a cold line. Like, are you serious? Like, some dude brings out a knife, and then he just does all that karate shit, bang, bang, boom, boom, disarms him, cracks him, hits his head on the table, and then says, please escort this gentleman out. Come on. I just kicked your ass,
0: and then I'm calling you a gentleman. Great, Great scene. Great scene. Terry Funk was also just about to return and challenge for the NWA championship when this movie came out and had a hell of a run with Ric Flair. What a year. Let me tell you something. What a year for Terry Funk. I think he does the previous year. I think he does over the top with
1: Stallone, right? And he plays that one of the heavies in that as well. Like he plays a heavy for Robert Loja and, and then him and Stallone go at it. God, and I him love and Sw- that
0: fucking movie.
1: Oh, it's such a great movie. How do you make arm wrestling interesting? Well, a father and son dynamic. Yeah. Perfect. Let's do it. Which by the way, I think the kid was the heel in that because he was a dick. <laughs> Um, He was a wimpy little whiny brat. But Terry Funk was in that as well. And Terry Funk has like these incredible scenes with Patrick Swayze. And I was telling you this on the phone. I think where they messed up WCW or NWA at the time was you should have had Swayze come in and do something with flair and team against funk and somebody else and then you have patrick swayze come in as like this guest star and he comes to rick flair's aid and then like you could have had like a tag team run like they really messed up at Starcade. at Starcade, we really could have seen patrick swayze versus terry funk i genuinely believe it would have went over swayze could have t- taken a bump i
0: genuinely would have believed that i believe he could they absolutely could have done rick flair and patrick swayze against terry funk and the great muda Right. So, like, imagine that leading into, you know, Starcade or the Great American Bash. Could you imagine
1: 89 instead of like the Victor went to spoils to WWF at that time? But if you could have had Patrick Swayze, arguably at the time, one of Hollywood's biggest stars, have a wrestling match with. Arguably, the greatest champion in the company's history, Ric Flair, teaming with Flair against the Great Muda and Terry Funk easily would have went down in history as one of the greatest tag team matches in, in all of WCW history.
0: Can you imagine if Ric Flair's 1989 was no longer known all for the Steamboat matches, but more for tagging with Patrick Swayze to take on Terry Funk? <laughs> I'm just,
1: listen, I'm just saying. I the back course it, man. Of- I back it. The The course of Ric Flair's career would probably stay the same, but there probably would have been a different trajectory for Flair in Hollywood because, you know, instead of guest starring in the Lyle Alzado vehicle, learning the ropes where he moonlights as a professional wrestler after being a principal all day, Ric Flair could have changed the game a little bit and probably could have been in some stuff because you didn't see Flair in much anything else outside of that and then – Magically, he shows up on Baywatch. Had he did something with Swayze, I think he probably would have maybe had a Daytime Emmy Award. Just saying.
0: (laughs) Maybe a Cable Ace. Well, the last chunk of this movie, once the shit really hits the fan, it goes all-out thriller with the music and the revenge scenario. And we get to the slashing. So much killing. It's insane that it's the same movie as the beginning. Right, but also at the same time, too, shit goes down in Jasper, Missouri, brother. Like you have this small
1: town. It's my town. Ben Gazzara did not like Dalton for any reason. You know, he's got to he's got to take out certain people without giving so much away. I'm I'm telling you, watch this film, and you will be all in. But even though it's a thriller, strip all that away, it's a love story. Like this movie has it all. Like the love of a good woman, Kelly Lynch. She plays Doc. Like, he falls in love with this woman. He had, like, some old demons that he had to get rid of. And he got rid of them through this town and fighting Brad
0: Wesley. And then at the end, he gets the girl. This has essentially everything you want in an 80s action movie. Hot 80s-looking chicks who get away with not having an ass for some reason, which is really strange now. Right,
1: right. And I don't know how Sam Elliott says, you know, she has... Way too much ass to have a brain like that <laughs> yes. on her, but she's walking away and she doesn't have an ass. And listen, listen, it's the '80s. That was the style back then. I think now, if they were to do Roadhouse, I think you would have to have a little bit, so, a little bit more, a full figured woman.
0: Yes, because I would that's hope
1: so. I would hope so too. You like a little junk in the trunk. I've been squatting more so that way the, the women that look at me can say, hey, you have an ass I want to bounce a quarter off of. <laughs> so you know what? Like You have to give and take. I can't like a full-figured woman with a really good butt if I have just like a chicken cutlet staple to my spine. It, it, just, doesn't <laughs> lo- it just doesn't work. It's not fair. No, no, like, you work out. You're like, you probably have, like, a good butt where your chick looks at it. She goes, you've got a great ass. You've been squatting, Rick.
0: Oh, dude, I'll I'm so Puerto Rican, too. I could not do another squat for the rest of my life, and I'm still going to knock things over when I turn around. See, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I don't have that bubble butt. Like, I have to – I had to gain mine. Like, literally, I have to squat all day, every day to have the, the caboose that I have currently. But we also have rad one-liners that are so bad that they're great. Insane right. fights. But the kills at the end are oh. just fucking crazy. I think I would go with the fight by the lake with the henchman Jimmy and the ripping out of the esophagus, which is the most insane sentence ever. That's my favorite kill. Which one would you go with? Hmm. Oof.
1: Um, it's, it's probably, and again, I don't want to give it away, but it's probably the one that you don't see when Wesley calls Dalton and says, I just flipped a coin. It's either this one or this one. And then he comes back and he sees the person that he really genuinely loved. And the note just said it was tails. And then there's a knife in this person's chest. What an amazing scene. Right? <laughs> like, yo, like, I felt that. And then like, when he pulls out the knife, you see like the blood drip down the person's arm. When he's pulling out the knife, like you see like he's really broken up about it. And I'm like, ooh, now that is acting. That is acting.
0: So if anyone listens to oral sessions with Renee Young, we know a little about your Tinder exploits. Oh God. I watched this movie with my fiance who had never seen it. And I was surprised by the effect it had on her. So the big question is, would this be something you would watch on a date night? Absolutely. I have How'd it turn out for you. I mean, listen, they they would make their suggestion. I would make mine.
1: And then, you know, I'd be like, mine's better. That's, Watch this. And then we could next time We'll watch yours, you know, because, you know, pandemic dating. It's all you can really do. So you can't go. You can't go anywhere. So you would grub hub some food. You would pay an exorbitant delivery amount. And then you would just sit there and you would stew the fact that you just paid so much money for food that you easily could get on the cheap. And then you would sit there and you would just watch some Swayze and then everything would, you know, the, the anger would dissipate. Um, but it, w- it would go well because at the end of the day, like, you know, you have good pe- good-looking good people fighting and then good-looking people hooking up. So how can you not – like, it's a good movie. It has everything. Like, my go-to date night movies are definitely, like, Rocky, Roadhouse, Masters of the Universe starring Dolph Lundgren,
0: <laughs> um, Mr. Baseball starring Tom Selleck. Well, a word of advice for anybody who wants some advice, Roadhouse is visual aphrodisiac.
1: It is, it is, it is. It'll definitely put you in the mood to screw, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, the love scene alone will will turn anybody on. And if you don't get turned on, then I don't think you have a soul.
0: Let your ears be the Ford dealership while you get Bigfoot smashed by this monster truck of a sponsor. And I don't
1: think some people even know what we're talking about, but hit that live read, baby. <laughs> What up, what up? It's Ryan Rainbow from the Meat Meat Podcast, where we
0: go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. And this week,
1: oh, oh this week, it's Beyond Planet Earth by the band, their second Roadrunner
0: release. And final Roadrunner release with Ray Capo and Porcel. So grab some Acme Dynamite,
1: but don't blow it. Check out Meep Meep every Wednesday,
0: wherever you cast pods. Far off the beaten path from the road to WrestleMania, June 19th, 2002, from Birmingham, Alabama. We had the debut show by brand new wrestling company at the time, total nonstop action, TNA. After the closing of WCW a year and change prior to this, wrestling kind of lost its luster for me for a little while. So even when I heard about the opening of a new company, I initially wrote it off and remained kind of uninterested. So I missed out completely on the first two years or so of TNA. Were you watching wrestling and paying attention to this at the time? Yeah,
1: because I watched it with my cousin Andrew. My cousin Andrew was a big wrestling guy and, you know, everything outside of WWE. So he's like, yo, come over. The Jarrett's just launched a new wrestling promotion. You have to come over and watch it. And so we watched the first, you know, NWA total nonstop action pay-per-view. And I was like, so what are they going to do? He's like, oh, it's going to be a weekly thing. They're going to do weekly pay-per-views. And I thought that was cool because if you can't secure a television deal, well, then, you know, you got to create your own narrative. And that's what they did here. Like they essentially created their own narrative by doing weekly pay-per-views and they weren't even super expensive either. It was different professional wrestling than I knew at that time. You know, like the indie started to bubble. It was a little bit different. You know, WWF was what it was. WCW had closed down. It It was it was done So it was like, all right, well, where could we go for things that are not now under the fingernail of Vince McMahon? And then comes this. And I like kitschy gimmicks. I also love really good wrestling. Like, it had that. Like, the Flying Elvises. Listen to the match. Like, and I had to go back and I had to watch it. So I wrote this down. You had the Flying Elvises defeated AJ Styles, Jerry Lynn, and low key, like, listen to who the Flying Elvises were Jorge Estrada. Sonny Suyaki and Jimmy Yang. That is a time capsule of two thousand and two wrestling right there. Like at the time I'm like, Oh, the Elvises are great. I want them to go over. Then you look back, you know, all these years later and you're like, Yo, the
0: Elvises really went over low key styles and Jerry Lynn? That's cool. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> it makes perfect sense at the time and in the context of the match it also makes perfect sense. So let's just dive in. That is not the segment that opens the show but that's the first match. The first TNA match is AJ Styles, Jerry Lynn and Low Key versus the Flying Elvises. And dude, this is a lie what I'm about to say. But on the other hand, this is the best match I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, it's so intense. And the pace was breakneck. And it was 90s match length, but it was perfect and didn't seem overly cooperative or choreographed, even though they're doing all the modern 2021 things. This match is as fresh as could be 20 years later.
1: Right. And I I think that just goes to the testament of one, how healthy they were back then and how fluid they could move. That's number one. You know what I mean? Um, Two, these guys were the godfathers of everything that we see now, Mm -hmm. you know, super kicks, topes, uh, whatever, man, I I guarantee you I would put a whole five dollar bill on this match against something that you want to watch now on the Indies or even just on AEW or WWE television and I guarantee you you can see it play out the same way like there will be stuff or inspirations taken from that move set from that era being done now and you know everybody that does it now gets the credit as like, oh, wow, they're really, really good. Yeah, well, they had to get it from somewhere, and they got it from guys like AJ and Jerry and Key and Siaki and Estrada and Yang, you know what I mean? So, it was like, like, people really think, like, oh, these guys were gimmicked with, like, this Elvis gimmick, but, like, they could really go, and then we all know how good AJ Styles was even back in 2002, let's be completely honest, AJ Styles had star written all over him low-key as well low-key was i don't i think he was either the first or second ring of honor heavyweight champion but you knew how good he would be and then by the time 2002 came around jerry lynn was already a solidified legend Mm -hmm. for what he did in ecw so like to see like you, you said like the pacing and the stuff rings true today but it was done back then it was a six minute match If that, I think it was like maybe six or or seven minutes away it was, but what you got in that everybody got their shit in. Like nobody did anything that was like, oh, well, this one's just hogging and getting all his stuff. No, everybody got something in. So if you
0: want, go back and and check out that match. The intro to the show is so PowerPoint presentation, 2002, and I like it. It kind of looks like a flyer from a show at Castle Heights, Ed Ferrara. Oh my God, that is some fucking look, man. And the contrast between (laughs) him and his outfit and his hair and then Mike Taney and his tux (laughs) and then Jeremy Barash, the ring announcer for this show and his Eminem haircut. God, just as 2002 as it gets. Right, but don't forget Don
1: West and his Hawaiian Hawaiian (laughs) button down as well.
0: So what really surprised me Is the crowd is so hot from the jump of the entire show, and it stays like that the entire show. And I really, really appreciate that at all, but especially after not having crowds for almost two years now. Fans
1: were hungry for something that wasn't WWF. You know, once they bought WCW, you know, you're like, damn, now what? It filled that gap that needed to be filled. Oh, yeah, dude. Easily, easily. But, you know, they had some really good guys in that. Like, the gauntlet for the gold battle royal. You had Bagwell, Jarrett, Lash LaRue, Norman Smiley, K-Crush. You had um, Conan. You had Rick Steiner. You had Scott Hall. You had Devin Storm. Steve Carino was in this, bro. Steve Carino, absolute legend. Carino is a fucking legend. Ken Shamrock,
0: Brian Christopher. Dude, like come on man like you had some like really heavy hitters in this thing and that's the main event the title gauntlet style match which eventually leads to a one-on-one match between the last two men in the ring ken shamrock and malice malice used to be the wall in wcw i'm looking at this guy i'm like does he have two matching sick of it all tattoos on his legs then i notice he has a corrosion conformity tattoo and a pennywise tattoo i'm like who the fuck is this guy and then I went on the internet and put in Malice. I'm like, oh, it's the fucking wall. I don't know if you remember the wall from the tail end of WCW. He was coming out wearing Victory Records, hardcore shirts all the time. So it was interesting to me that he lost some weight, changed his gimmick, and he just is covered in hardcore tattoos. We'll get to that match later. Let's run through some of the other matches that we skipped real quick. Tio versus Puppet. <laughs> Guess what? This match rules. It wasn't yeah. comedy. It's just an ass kicker with two little people. Right,
1: right. And I think, like, we're always under the impression that when you have little people wrestling, it's supposed to be comedy. But in reality, no, like I want to see every I, I like storytelling. So even if you have big guy versus little guy, like I want the little guy to get some stuff in and I want him or her to defy the odds. You know what I mean? Like you always want that underdog story. But. This was cool, man. Like, you follow up what we've seen with that six man with something that, okay, let's bring the crowd down a little bit. And it's like three minutes, but the crowd was so hot that they just, like, they stayed. It wasn't like, like you know, you, you know, you would have like the peaks and valleys matches, like, okay, let's, we'll start off hot, then we'll bring it down a little bit, then we'll bring it back up, then we'll bring it down. And then by the main event, we just have them cooking the crowd. But that wasn't the case. Like, every match honestly delivered. this match was
0: no exception to that. We get a bunch of chicks in cages and then the lingerie battle royal announcement. We have Francine. Yeah, I never understood the chicks in the cage thing, though. Was it supposed to be, there was supposed to be go-go dancers? I guess it was the 2002 version of wrestling go-go dancers and coming through with the TNA moniker a little bit. That's how I always took it.
1: Okay. I just never understood that. But again, 2002 was a really weird
0: time, man. Yes. In wrestling and in pop culture,
1: right? Like they, like nothing was PC. Like it was just all like we're gonna just gonna throw it all on the wall and see if it sticks. And if you have a whole bunch of hormones and you know, like MTV esque like attitude, you're gonna enjoy this. So, so, so here it is. But I never, I never really like understood that. I was like, all right, that's cool. They're pretty. They're beautiful women, but do they gotta be
0: in cages? (laughs) Well, we have Francine, Daphne, Mickey James, Electra, and others that come out that we may have not have heard of before this show. I can't believe young Mickey James,
1: Alexis Lurie, dude. I I seen her. Oh God, this was probably at the height of her TNA run. She was at a VFW hall in Staten Island, and she was there with Julio De Niro. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll never forget how nervous my cousin Andrew was. About meeting her and wanting to take a picture with her, and I was like, like, wow, man, You're like you really got like the love Jones for her. And he had, like a cute little. It was a cute crush. It was not nothing crazy. It wasn't like creepy internet people
0: now. Like when they like you know ask wrestling girls for pictures of their feet. Don't do that. Don't be a weirdo. <laughs> Then we get the Johnsons, managed by Mortimer Plumtree. The Johnsons are Richard and Rod, which is just as 2002 as it gets, taking on Psychosis and pre-America's Most Wanted, James Storm. (laughs) This match was nothing special, but again, it was cool. And it began the crooked referee angle with Slick Johnson. So they're starting angles and stories from day one. And another match that really had nothing going into it, but I thought delivered. Well, again, I think that's
1: what they also knew that they had to establish as well. You know, you got to start off with a hot card and then you got to figure out, okay, well, we got to do a card next week. (laughs) So let's really start to establish some things. And I think the storytelling with that tag team match showed like, okay, let's let's start to plant the seeds. Who's going to do what? Why is this ref going to be crooked? Is he going to be crooked for other matches? Was it just this one? Is there a payoff? I like when they do crooked ref storylines. Like, I love the whole... Back in the day with, like, the Hart Foundation, Danny Davis stuff. So to me, this was indicative of that. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a cool tag team match, man. But again, you're right. Like, everything was TV matches, right? Like, maybe five minutes of a match. But again, it, like, it really told the story. So there's been a cohesion with, like, the storytelling so far. You know, three matches in, four matches in.
0: Then NASCAR guys come out and say some shit that I can't understand even a little. But I love yeah, speeding, I- so that's fine. I never got into NASCAR and then like no disrespect to it. I just never really like understood the appeal, you know? No, me neither. So here's a question. Is NASCAR a sport? Um,
1: oh God. Uh, I don't, I I don't want to offend your
0: Southern fans, you know, because I know the reach of the show. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I can do the offending. No, no, I don't
1: think it, I don't, I don't think it is. And I don't, I don't think like cornhole is a sport or ax throwing is a sport, you know, like I think it takes a lot of skill to drive a vehicle around a course at 300 miles an hour, I think it does. I, I think that's more of an entertainment than a sport. I think, like, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, MMA, wrestling, uh, those are sports. Yes.
0: yes, not every physical competition is a sport. I don't think golf is a sport, so... Okay. Right, right, I don't think that is a sport either. I think it's, an enter- like, a form of entertainment. But, like, you know,
1: there will be some purists that, that, that think it is. You know, I'll, I can never wear a NASCAR shirt because I don't know who... Any of these drivers are. And it would, I'd kind of be a phony if I was to wear like a, a vintage NASCAR tee.
0: So, yeah. so R-Truth this year is K-Crush. R-Truth in 2002 looks exactly like he does in 2021, which is fucking incredible. Oh, he, he don't age. He's an immortal. He's a Highlander. Do you think that this segment borders on racism? Absolutely. Okay, because I was like, am I being too critical, but I am really uncomfortable with some of the verbiage in this? The use of the word kind over and over again, man, I do not like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was very, again, like, look at what, like, crowd that they were, like, producing this television for. Again, it's not for a new york yes. liberal crowd it is not for us we are no like that is straight southern you know what i mean like where they spit you in tobacco into a tin it is straight for that crowd so yes it was it was very
0: very very uh, it wasn't borderline racist it was racist okay <laughs> So then we have York and Matthews taking on Sam and Bo Dupp, which is crazy because it's Joey Matthews from WWE and Ring of Honor Fame, and Trevor Murdoch, who is way bigger now than he is here. Again, another quick one, not the smoothest, but it's a fun match with tons of action. The crowd goes wild for Toby Keith. And again, this sure is a fucking southern crowd. If you put I just to God's honest truth, right? If you put,
1: I don't know, every popular, like, five country music stars on a police lineup and they tell me pick out Toby Keith, I'm going to be like, I have no idea what you're talking. What did you – is that English? What did you just say? Yeah. Who? I, I just I, – I, I wouldn't know. It, I had to remember, like, going back and watching this again on YouTube. I was like, oh, so that's who Toby Keith is. Okay. Wow. I'm really not a country connoisseur, you know? Like, I know you
0: are. You love country. So, like, you know <laughs> – you you play it, you know, like you're a big Luke Combs guy, you know? Well, I do like the Jeff Healy band after watching Roadhouse because a blind guitar player shredding like that. Man, Jeff Healy had a great career in the 80s and he even landed but, that role in Roadhouse. So that's great.
1: But is Jeff Healy, but is Jeff Healy country or were they just a rock group that used to
0: do cover songs? Uh, well, Jeff Healy and Jeff Jarrett are as far country as I go.
1: Okay, But
0: okay. But speaking of Jeff Jarrett, let's talk about this main event a little bit. It's the gauntlet-style title match. It's essentially a version of the Royal Rumble, which ends in a one-on-one match. I love the concept here. I love the execution here. I love that they threw so many name stars with some unknown stars, so everybody seems elevated to me. right. Now, I thought they were going to start a feud with Jeff Jarrett and Toby Keith because
1: of Scott Hall, where they eliminated Jeff Jarrett.
0: That's how it seemed. Toby Keith interferes in this match, suplexes Jeff Jarrett, British Bulldog style, and they eliminate him while the whites go crazy in the middle of the ring. I like it.
1: No, I, I like off the wall things because it's like, okay, we're going to do this gauntlet style elimination. Then we're going to you're going to have a wrestling match. So, like, let's do it. Like, I like things like that. And I liked that they had 20 competitors. And, again, like, it flew by. Like, it was a 30-minute battle royal. And it really worked, man. It was cool. It was cool to see. And I like the fact that even back then, I was watching. I was like, oh, no, they're going to put the belt on Jared. And again, no, no shot to that. I mean, like, you know, like recognizable as your first champion should be one of the guys who was second to last as WCW champion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it, name, value, brand recognition. OK, cool. But they didn't do that. They didn't. They, they went with somebody else. I know we're going to get to that in a minute. But like they, they went somewhere
0: completely different. And you're like, oh, shit, I'm impressed. OK, where does this go? Even if somebody was watching this for the first time with no context, from the beginning of the show, if you know wrestling at all, you assume Jarrett's leaving with the title. And not only does he not even make it to the championship match, but he's eliminated as not even one of the last people in the battle royal. And that is really, really exciting. Yeah, he's not in the final four, which is crazy. So then that led me to believe, Like even watching it again, I felt like I got got because it's been so long since I've seen it. Like, I know who wins the championship, but I I thought, oh, that's going to be Scott Hall. Well, we wind up with Shamrock taking on Malice with Ricky Steamboat as the referee. Again, this is a really quick match, even though it just is the summation of a 30-minute battle royal. But I liked it, because it was intense, and Shamrock winning with the belly-to-belly is cool. The crowd goes fucking wild, and a new NWA champ with the traditional belt is sick as hell with Ken Shamrock. (laughs)
1: yeah absolutely like it had a cool lineage but um i think right move i think shamrock was great because at that time still he was still at his like peak physical performance he you know he had those long sideburns going he was a machine you know he's a he's a scary tough dude and you know the belly to belly was always one of his things he would he would hit that and then put you into you know the ankle you know they were telling a story they kept on showing that you know malice was like the 13th entrant and he stayed in and they kept on like putting the camera on him and you know the commentators were always bigging him up every time he was on camera so it was like okay cool he is the big guy in the match he's the biggest guy so you would assume hopefully he would you know make it to the final two and they told that story and then when he lost by a belly-to-belly It's like, it tells a great story because you're in there for like 15, 20 minutes. And now you're you're really gunning this last like five to 10 minutes of a match. You're exhausted. And they played it up well. Both of them played up well that they were exhausted. And if you're booking a company and you want your first guy to be a legitimate contender in people's eyes, then yeah, you put the belt on Shamrock.
0: After the match, Ed Ferrara makes a special Olympics joke, which fucking shocked me. Then Jeff Jarrett beats up Bullet Bob Armstrong, Jackie Fargo almost dies while doing a challenge promo, and then Hall comes out to beat up Jarrett as the show goes off the air. Aside from a few things like the racism and the NASCAR angle and Ferrara's Special Olympics joke, which are big things to overlook, aside from that, I really like this show. How do you think that it holds up overall? Um, I think if you look back in
1: terms of a first show, there was a lot you can pick away and You know, most like all the Ferrara stuff should be removed. And I I was never a big fan of Ed Ferrara. Let's Mm -hmm. just put it that way.
0: Yeah, man. He's not winning any awards
1: for taste. No, 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 no. So like watching that stuff, I I just cringe. I'm like, I can't believe they even had the audacity to even put that shit on TV. But again, like we said, this was at a completely different time. Political correctness did not really exist. People's feelings really didn't exist. And, you know, professional wrestling, uh, they don't care. You know, it's whatever. Just it's, it's entertainment, brother. To me, I was like, oh, this is this is this is on cold or this is tasteless. Um, but I think the show holds up very, very well. It's aged very, very well. Like we said before, there was a lot of professional wrestlers that do the style that is indicative to now. And they are literally the godfathers and godmothers of that, you know, and then you would see the rise of guys like, you know, our truth and you would see AJ Styles really become the staple of that company. You would see, you know, guys like indie legends like Loki be Lowkey and and really deserve a bigger platform than you know, just working in the the New York City shows. So, you know, but they also kind of respected their legends to a degree. I mean, you had, you know, guys like Jackie Fargo or whatever, like, yeah, and Bullet Bob Armstrong and all that shit. Like, you know, so it was a combination of like everything that was WCW, but they wanted to tell it in a new way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm not really selling myself on that either, but <laughs> it was them trying to create their own history.
0: Now's the time to do a little rebooking the territory. If Boot Camp Click is the house band at the Double Deuce instead of the Jeff Healy band, what's changing in Roadhouse? Um, I think the vibe would be different. I don't think Brad Wesley would want to take over
1: the Double Deuce. I think he would know that, okay, it's a cash cow because it's a hip-hop crowd. So let's just get all the hottest acts in there. Let's get them all the Jasper, Missouri. Let's make <laughs> a lot of money. Let's make it like the premier like, tour stop in hip-hop uh i think swayze would get along so well with boot camp that he would do a song with them because he sang she's like the wind (laughs) so i definitely would see them do a remix of she's like the wind and maybe he's on doing some backing vocals or maybe just some kata in a music video in that like white room where like where all of boot camp is rapping and maybe
0: he's just doing like the slow kata karate Jeff Jarrett always had the country music gimmick. So, if instead of beefing with Toby Keith, they teamed up against two members of Boot Camp for a match at the first TNA show, which two members are they facing and what's the finish?
1: Oh, Health to easy. Ruck and
0: Rock. And what's the finish?
1: Ruck and Rock gotta go over. I think it's clean. I think it's clean. I think we see Sean Price bust out a sunset flip one, two, three. I think we go simple.
0: You know, people talk bad about the sunset flip off the top rope that Johnny B. Bad used to do, but I love so it. So good. So good. Ken Shamrock, the MMA specialist, leaves the first TNA show with the title after he beats Malice. If Shamrock is facing martial arts ass beater Dalton in the finals, and instead of the title being on the line, it's the Bigfoot Monster Truck and the Doctor, how's the show ending? <laughs>
1: oh, I think we're getting the similar finish. I think Shamrock's getting his esophagus ripped out. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah. You know what? I'm picking I, Dalton over Shamrock too. You have to. You have to. <laughs> hey, man, where can everyone get to you and all your projects on the net and across socials?
1: Uh, you can follow me at Twitter and Instagram at Emilio Sparks. E-M-I-L-I-O-S-P-A-R-K-S. Please help me get to 10000 followers on Instagram so I can have the cool swipe up feature so I can promote my brand of bullshit Um, you can hear Oral Sessions with Renee Paquette wherever you get podcasts you can hear Talk and Shop starring Gallows and Anderson and Rocky Romero wherever you get podcasts you can listen to Bear With Us with Corey Graves and Carmelo wherever you get podcasts and you can listen to Born or Made with fitness enthusiast and entrepreneur and philanthropist Michael Chernow wherever you get your podcasts and then I have a couple of other cool things in the works as well that I cannot spoil right now but I'm also working with and consulting some cool cats as well so look out be on the lookout for that stuff um, so you can find all of that there and, and I don't know just hit me say hi you can go to Rassle Rap. that's a weekly podcast hosted by me and the Mighty Vin if you like this type of, of conversation we, we do it there we talk a little more music uh, join us at Rassle Rap. W-R-A-S-S-L-E-R-A-P on social media we also have some new merch coming within the next two weeks. And I think you're going to love Rick. So Yeah. Help me out. Give me some money so I can keep my uh so I can keep working from home.
0: <laughs> I'm everywhere at Rick as hell. Follow this show on Instagram at thrash slash maniapod and Twitter at Pod. Follow my band at ExtinctionAD on Twitter and Instagram and make sure you go to our YouTube page and subscribe so you never miss an episode of It's Go Time, you asshole. Follow these simple directions and you will never become enslaved at Dwayne Ass Reed. In two weeks, I'll be joined by returning guest Tim Delaney for another edition of The Director Slash, where he will be scripting the spin-off film from legendary wrestling documentary Beyond the Mat, where we will learn all about what he has in store for the post-wrestling career of Mike Modest. A fucking fictional sequel spin-off film based on Mike Modest from Beyond the Mat, And yes, it will be as insane as it sounds. So until then, stay safe, lift weights, chug a Red Bull, bang your head, and never don't kick ass.
1: You've been listening to the Stiff Shots Podcast Network. Go!